0: Hello and welcome to Pali, the Hindu's weekly discussion podcast. I'm Prashant Vermal, your host for the day. Sridhar Vembu, the chief executive officer of uh, Zoho Corporation, recently called for a regulatory framework to prevent any company from monopolizing the artificial intelligence technology. He also warned about how artificial intelligence could cause huge job losses in the Indian economy and even affect the demand for goods as the wages that are paid to actual human beings kind of uh, vanishes. So he's called for certain regulations that need to be brought in to address these issues. So to discuss Mr. Webu's comments, I have with me Ajay Shah, who's a research professor of business at Jindal Global University, and Apar Gupta, who's the executive director of the Internet Freedom Foundation. Uh, welcome to both of you. My first question is fundamentally from an economic perspective, do we have to fear AI uh, given the threat for job losses and uh, the other concepts that uh, Wembu has pointed out? Do you think AI, we should particularly fear AI or do you think AI is just like any other disruptive technology that has caused fears in the past, but eventually the world has adjusted to them? So how do you see it? Ajay
1: or uh, anyone can take it. Shall I jump in? So I... Yeah, I'm an optimist. I look back at 5,000 years of all kinds of revolutionary technical change. There was a time when human beings, uh, seeds of wheat in the ground, and then the machines came and replaced that. And you could have thought that this is a terrible thing. But by now, we know the recipe that uh, technological change comes, the aggregate productivity and output of society goes up. Poor people today are vastly better off than they were 200 years ago and 5,000 years ago. So... I am optimistic that there's nothing special or different about this time around. It's just one more round of uh, ways in which machines can be used uh, to increase productivity. And there will always be the short-term story of some job loss and some new careers will be created. But uh, I'm not uh, excited that this is fundamentally
2: I broadly echo Ajay's views. And alongside that, I'd just like to say that In our popular culture, quite often we have people who think about AI as a killer robot or as a Terminator-based machine, not only in terms of what it presents as a risk towards uh, loss of uh, jobs, but also what it poses in terms of the systems themselves becoming autonomous. I think the primary risks which are emerging from artificial intelligence happen to be the same risks which have been there from other digital technologies when they have more and more social impacts, which is um, questions of um, equal access, uh, questions of how uh, political systems integrate those technologies. And we must not forget that some AI-based systems are already operational uh, and have been used for some period of time. For instance, AI is a broad technology, which will have also fields something like machine vision, which is used today in facial recognition in airports in India, but also by law enforcement departments. I'll leave it at that. But the way I view it is that there needs to be a greater level of um, critical thought, study, uh, understanding as to the social and economic impacts of any new technology.
1: I agree. And if I may just broaden that discussion slightly, there's a useful phrase Uh, called AGI, which stands for Artificial General Intelligence, which is a phrase that people are using to emphasize the uniqueness and capability of the human mind. The human mind is a general intelligence. Uh, You could show me a problem that I've never seen before, and I would be able to think about it from scratch, and I would be able to try to solve it, which is not something these machines know how to do. So I feel there's a lot of loose talk around the word AI, ChatGPT is just one big glorified database of everything that has been written on the internet, and it should not be mistaken for the genuine human capability to think and to invent and to have a consciousness and to wake up with the urge to do something. None of these are remotely present in a system like chat gpt it's just as apar said it's just one more intensification of the process of studying data it's actually one more statistical model that's all there's nothing more than that i think of the word ai as a bit of a marketing hype okay
0: okay okay yeah so, uh, i'm more to the next question the other one is like uh, currently we have certain regulatory systems in place to keep uh, businesses in check uh, so do you think uh, the current system is equipped enough to deal with, I mean, competition threats that could arise possibly from artificial intelligence? Do you think like uh, businesses that deal with artificial intelligence need a special kind of regulation or something? Or, or, and do you think like uh, new regulations would like help competition or do you think they hurt competition? Yeah.
2: yeah, Ajay, I think uh, here what's possibly maybe helpful for people to also understand is Has AI already been used in financial markets? I just wanted to prompt you towards that before I come in.
1: Yes, please. So uh, I, I want to say two, three things that, again, I don't like the word AI because it is just statistical processing of data. And, oh, yes, it is vastly present in the financial system already today. So you go try to take a home loan and in all probability, there is a statistical model inside a financial firm, which is going to take your data and make a help make a decision about whether you should get a home loan or not. Or similarly, there are algorithms trading on financial markets, which are using models and you could call this AI. So this is not entirely new. This has been going on for a long time. In terms of the potential harms and uh, the issues around regulation, I think Apar and I will both say that we need to broaden the lens to also cover the difficulties of uses inside government. So, for example, one of the great questions in the field of technology policy in India is about checks and balances upon the government, about what kind of data should a government see about us, what kind of surveillance powers should a government have over us, what are the new kinds of harm that come about when governments use technology in a certain way so i feel that there is one big pillar of concern and difficulty which is about the use of modern computer technology and the legibility of our lives the way our lives are laid bare the way our lives become legible to the government i think that has a whole list of associated concerns and then we should think about what's going on with the corporations and around competition yes apa what do you think
2: I think that's a, that's a great framing. And I think uh, it puts into focus, firstly, in terms of public procurement or deployment, a much more deeper policy conversation around what's the evidence, does it work? Because sometimes technology, which is deployed for addressing a social problem or promises efficiency, fails to do with just that. And if it may cater to that need, it may also create a new problem in a way. It, as we have seen, even ChatGPT, which is large language model, seems to be making up information and uh, I put in, uh, I remember in chat GPT 3.5, for instance, I put in a query whether India has a data protection law and its answer was in the affirmative, which is incorrect. Uh, That's just one instance, but uh, going forward, I think so beyond the policy conversation, I think uh, we also need laws for the deployment of AI-based systems, to comply with Supreme Court uh, requirements under the right to privacy judgment for uh, specific use cases such as facial recognition. A uh, lot of police departments, a lot of state governments are doing it. It's also being done for uh, certain state election commissions are doing it. And these all come with error rates. They have very different manifestations. It may result in exclusion. It may result in harassment for a person. And all of them are operating without a legal vacuum. So there needs to be a level of restraint which is there. Third, I think so at the same point in time, uh, well, there doesn't seem to be an apparent problem, so why should we look at fixing it? And it's quite good to think about it like that. I think uh, given that it does take a long period for us to uh, decide the policy path on uh, the direction of lawmaking, especially in the technology sector, we should start paying greater attention to the conversations which are happening in Europe around the AI Act, around, it, around its risk assessment approach, and look at it a little more closely as it may serve as an influential model, just like the GDPR has done for a lot of uh, countries in the years to follow from the formulation of the GDPR itself. So those are three things, I think, so, which which are a sensible way of looking at legal regulation around the AI.
1: And if I may come to the uh, question around competition policy. Yeah, sure, sure, yes. Yeah, if I may come to the question of competition policy and the new age of what's going on. So I want to say three things. The first is that I am not that worried about the presence or absence of competition uh, in this field, because on a global scale, it appears that there are many players. Already, we can see OpenAI and Microsoft collaborating on one line of attack. We can see Facebook, which is now called Meta, building in this space. And of course, we have... The giant and potentially the best of the game is Google. And they are already there. There are at least five or 10 other teams. I think that there are many, many people who are building these kind of LLMs. So I'm not seeing the LLM story getting locked up around any one or two players. There is ample competition. The second thing I want to say is that actually, this is a nice reminder of the extent to which the technological dynamism generates checks and balances of its own, where what we have seen is how ChatGPT has raised a new level of competitive dynamics questions around Google search. So one year ago, we would have said that the world has a problem. Google is the dominant vendor in search. And yes, that was true for some time. But today, suddenly, it seems that this game is wide open all over again. And Microsoft and Bing and ChatGPT and GPT 3.5 are in the game and are a credible rival to Google again. I'm not saying the game is done. As Apar said, you can extract some really terrible answers out of ChatGPT. So I recommend extreme caution when using ChatGPT, but it is suddenly looking like the global market for search is more competitive than it used to be. And my third argument is that there are some real puzzles in how we think about uh, competition policy within India, in these global uh, marketplaces. So imagine that uh, there is an Indian market for taxi services, and we watched the competition between a firm like Uber and a firm like Meru, and it felt like there were some things going wrong in competition policy in that period. And I have a co-authored paper uh, from that period where we are understanding what was going on. But when it comes to the competition between Microsoft and Google, on search. Frankly, we in India are spectators and, you know, the European Union is going to work on it. The US FTC is going to work on it. And I don't see a whole lot of value that can be added in India. So I don't get excited about appropriating extraterritorial jurisdiction in the hands of an Indian competition authority, because in a way, these are problems that are going to be dealt with by the whole world. And we should always remember India is a poor country. Uh, Regulatory and state capacity in India is very limited. So the work that is done here will generally be of a low quality. So until we see felt harms and direct difficulties that are visible in India and that will not be solved by anybody else other than us, we should not prioritize these issues in the Indian public discourse. So like Apar, I would worry a lot about what the Indian police does with face recognition. Because that nobody else is going to solve. Only we are going to solve. That's a clear and present danger. That's a problem for the Indian society today. Whereas the competitive dynamics between Google and Bing doesn't get me excited. Apar, can you shed
0: light on this thing, the whole threat of you know, this, yeah, state misuse of AI and also the uh, competition side of uh, AI? Like How exactly does that change competition policy and stuff? So yeah, these two points, yeah.
2: I think uh, I'm much more familiar and comfortable with the state use of AI, given that I've looked at it for some time. I just go a little bit deeper into what's now called as digital policing because they're dedicated budgets in state governments and they have been prodded by the Parliamentary Committee on Modernization of Police. So technology is seen to make police much more efficient, uh, to help it solve and even prevent crimes but quite often it's just reinforcing biases. So quite often it helps us uh, collect visibility on a person to the extent or uncover enough information to link that person to a potential crime. And that is where your bias comes in because that information is not uh, dispositive of the commission of the crime. That information is only dispositive of a person's link which is very incidental to a crime. And we all know that because uh, in digital systems, the natural outcome of any human interaction is a record, a ledger record, which is created in that sense. And we've seen certain outcomes, which have come through the 2020 uh, riot cases in Delhi, where bails have been granted. A lot of digital evidence was used, but in the bail order... The courts have again and again said that just because a person has been shown wearing X color, Y article on this place at that time, it does not mean it's the person in front of us. And even if it's that the person in front of us who you are saying is the accused person, we are just seeing them standing rather than committing any crime. Coming to the second part, I think beyond policing, the tech landscape which is there with respect to AI right now, uh, and I think AI now came out with a Tremendous report yesterday, which is a landscape report. Uh, And it says that uh, essentially AI today uh, is dominated by big tech again. And they say it's because they have a computing power advantage. They have a data advantage and they have a geopolitical advantage. And it is essential that at this time when AI is going to unleash the next level of technology innovation, The pre-existing firms, which may be Microsoft, Google, Meta, etc., they are racing towards integrating it within their own um, ecosystems in a sense. These monopolies may deepen by itself. You may have one or two larger players which do arise. But again, you will see essentially a dominance of large firms, large Silicon Valley firms, which come to dominate this entire uh, discourse. I would recommend people to look at the AI Now report, which has just come out yesterday and explains this very well.
0: Also, oh, like, how do you see the uh, like India actually handling the India in particular? Because you see in China how it's handled AI yeah, with, with the authoritarian thing. Like, how do you see India where particularly after what happened with Pegasus and stuff? Yeah. So the threat of uh, state AI, yeah.
2: So uh, the Indian engagement on AI actually has been pre-existing for about two and a half years, three years. And I think the uh, Aayog came out with a report called AI for All. And then it planned to come out with sector-specific reports in order to encourage the use of artificial uh, specific kind of automation technology, not AI by itself, uh, which uh, could be applied to different sectors of uh, human activity in India. Primarily economic and it came out with, for instance, a report on in the sector of agriculture. How can AI be applied in agriculture? Uh, and uh, I think uh, the foundational basis of a lot of the prescriptions there were not well reasoned in a sense in terms of governance or even an encouragement of uh, how to use it. It was essentially built of larger forms of data capture, which were there and uh, introducing of uh, market efficiencies. So it wasn't really an AI based report in that sense. The second effort was taken by the Ministry of Electronics and IT. It came out with reports on artificial intelligence, but I don't see active engagement. I don't see a dedicated uh, technology advisory group, which I think government needs today, but that's a larger problem. I've been talking about it for some time.
1: Can I just discuss uh, the interesting compare and contrast? Yes. yes. Between the so-called Chinese model and the Indian model? Sure. Uh, what has been done in China is a mixture of a certain kind of crony capitalism and a certain kind of repressive politics. So, step one, they have built a, a Chinese firewall and uh, the the Great Chinese fire the, the Great Firewall of China, and they have cut off uh, users in China from the internet. This is actually not that unlike what has started happening in India, where many, many websites are being increasingly cut off from Indian users. But take that to the nth degree, and that's what you get in China. The second part is that then they take uh, the ruling party and people connected with the ruling party, they take uh, children of powerful politicians, and those people get the monopolies to build Uh, products that look like the global products. So they take a product like Twitter and they copy it There's a Chinese version of it. And that gets given to one of the children of the Communist Party to build out as a product and they make a lot of money. They take a global product like Facebook and they steal the ideas and they steal the design. And then there is some local Me Too version in China and somebody makes money out of that. So that's the broadly Chinese approach. And it makes many billion dollars of market cap but it also comes at the price of mediocrity and stagnation because when you are just copying things a you are not at the frontier and b you will not develop the genuine scientific and technical knowledge so so far in india we do get many people whining about the market capitalization that has been produced by foreign companies that operate in india but by and large this is not a mainstream idea and there is decent political support for globalization in India that we will integrate into the world economy and we will have full participation by foreign companies in India and Indian companies go abroad, etc. So the economic nationalism where somehow a government is supposed to cut off foreign companies from operating in India is not yet a dominant impulse in India. So I think that there are fundamental superiorities of the Indian way, but I recognize that there is X percent of India that would like
0: the China model much more. Apar, unless you have something to add and I can move to the next question. Uh,
2: No, no, not at all. Okay. Uh, But uh, I I would just like to caution people also, who are taken in by the attractiveness of the China model, in a sense, because the China model uh, relies on a form of uh, political control which itself is completely incompatible in india uh it and the thing is the attraction towards the chinese model or building like the chinese needs to also be compared uh from uh, not only the technology sector but also in other sectors of industrial manufacturing etc so that's a that's a larger that's a larger thing people need to just take into account uh, that you just can't copy things in uh uh, hope to emulate the same kind
0: of okay, coming back to the economics of AI like uh, uh, how how do you see like Pembo's uh, uh, comments about how like the threat of, I actually see a lot of people believing that AI would like completely replace all jobs and like people would be jobless, and also the uh, other threat that they say is like because people are not gonna be paid any money because they don't know do any jobs anymore. that would affect the demand for goods in the economy and that would be like a downward spiral for the economy. So, how exactly do you see that? I think these arguments have been made in the past about other technologies too. Ajay or upper yeah.
1: So, I think that uh, these technologies will increase the productivity of the software industry. And uh, Indian programmers will do more and better work and get paid higher rates. So, the number of persons working to do the same work will potentially go down. But the productivity goes up, and overall, that's a good thing. Now, that said, Indian software programmers are part of a global industry. And uh, I feel that the process of improvement of the Indian market share in the global market still has plenty of headroom. So it boils down to people who are very smart, who are able to use these tools. They will do extremely well. They'll become more productive. So I, I, I'm not fundamentally worried. This is not new. This is not different. Okay. So when I was a, a undergraduate student in IIT Bombay, our ability to read research papers was limited because you had to go to a physical library and a lot of the papers from the global community did not exist in India. Okay, then came the internet and Google Scholar and today papers are available to everybody. That is an increase in the productivity and I think that's a good thing. So yeah, potentially the number of persons working in a team may go down, but overall as an economy, as a country, I think we benefit that we get higher productivity into India. So as a card-carrying economist, I would just say, We should always focus on the word productivity. It's good for society when human beings produce more output per unit hour. That makes us more prosperous.
0: And how do you see the uh, jobs people do who actually lose their jobs? Do you see them being reabsorbed into other sectors? or What exactly is their fate? Uh, Yeah,
1: there, there is an endless adjustment. To some extent, some prices in the labor market will change. People will see job opportunities multiplying in other areas. So I, my favorite story always is from a newspaper column written by Ila Patnaik. All of us will remember there used to be over 1 million STD ISD booths in India, each of which employed one or two people. So there were one or two million jobs of operating an STD ISD booth in India. And then mobile phone roaming came and there was no great hand wringing. That, oh, mobile phone roaming has come and now we don't need STD, ISD, booths anymore. So multi-million people will lose their jobs. It just happened. The productivity of the country goes up. So I don't worry so much about reallocation. The labor market does this every day. Every day, prices move in the labor market and then people start choosing that, do I want to be in this kind of job or that kind of job?
0: Apar, uh, so what's your take on the whole uh, Sridhar Vembo's comments? Like, how do you see them? Like, Do you see them like too threatening or do you like, yeah?
2: So I think uh, you know like uh, the impact on jobs has been talked about uh, a lot. I think I don't see any imminent danger to uh, people uh, fundamentally altering our life. But I do think uh, what lines up with uh, the need for us to maintain uh, competitiveness is for uh, our educational programs to restructure around AI, viewing it, as a technology of the present, embracing it. And secondly, also acknowledging that technologies uh, are assimilated by people who have access to them much faster than those who do not. These have been our learnings. Even with internet based technologies, there is a digital divide. And I think that is where we need to focus. Rather than focusing on the technology itself as a danger, we have to reframe our thinking around the technology itself as a form of opportunity
1: and a risk. You will give me the liberty to speak to the young people who are hearing this podcast. I feel really bad for young people who have the temptation of uh, getting their work done by going to chat GPT and drafting a paragraph or a page. It is truly harmful for them. But that's not something that involves public policy and government. It involves mothers. Okay, so how we bring up children has to change to get them to understand the value of real knowledge as opposed to the temptation of getting a mediocre paragraph or a page written by ChatGPT. You need to learn to write your own code instead of getting ChatGPT to write some code for you. So I think of this as a temptation where a mediocre assistant is now ubiquitously available. And what this will do is drive up the inequality between the people who actually have knowledge and the people who... Have succumbed to the temptation of getting by with these quick and dirty tools.
0: So, just before we wrap up, I just have one question. That this just came up now. Like, uh, about, like how India is already at, uh, like uh, looking at labor force part, participation in India and stuff. How India has been unable to uh, move its labor from agriculture to other sectors and stuff. Now, do you see the AI actually adding to that problem? Because there will be more jobs, so people, more people out of jobs and stuff. So the question of like, how are these uh, people going to be absorbed into other sectors when that's already a problem here? So do you see what exactly do, do policymakers need to do? Like free up labor market, something? Yeah. More liberalization? How How do you see it?
1: So the, the big fact about the Indian labor market is that from about 2015 to about uh, 2022, the number of persons working has been stable at about 400 million persons. Okay, So in a way, this glass is half full because the market economy is working. New technologies are coming in all the time. Some regions do well, some regions do badly. There is a process of migration. People switch careers, all that stuff is working. In another way, of course, the glass is half empty because 400 million persons working is a very poor number compared with an overall population of about 1.4 billion. These problems are rooted in the confidence of private investors. So in my opinion, the heart and soul of the Indian economic problem today is weak private investment demand, because ultimately, almost all jobs are in the private sector. And when the private sector feels optimistic and confident about the future, then There is a commitment and a process of building businesses, and then those organizations create jobs. So I feel it's not about the AI, it's a deeper Indian development strategy problem, that what has gone wrong in the relationship between the Indian state and uh, the private sector that has led to private persons becoming disenchanted.
0: Agreed. Uh, Yeah, I've run out of questions. Yeah, Thank you so much to both of you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It was a great discussion. Thanks.
2: Thanks, Thanks you. Prashant. Thank you. Thank you, Prashant.